Janet and I have been married 17 years, and we've never built a house together until just recently. We thought, hey, let's see if our marriage can endure anything. And we are, we are now learning that we can do it. Oh, we're trying. It has been crazy. We've lived in 14 different places, in uh, 14 different homes in 17 years. This is our 14th. And if your marriage can survive that, baby, it is gold. And, and we're, we're, we're doing it. We're making it. And, and uh, we, we wanted to build a home here in Lufkin that, uh, you know, we, we, we've been blessed. We, we've bought and sold a lot of property. And we're at the place where we can build uh, uh, the kind of home we want to build that our kids will kind of grow up and graduate in, our 14-year-old and our 9-year-old. And so we got a lot of needs in the house we're able to do, but we got some wants that we're trying to accomplish. And, and one of those wants is if we have enough money at the end of it, we're going to try. We're going to try and see if we can put in a pool in the backyard. And if we do, y'all are invited. We'll just come on in anytime, okay? Just, just, just keep your clothes on, okay? But, but um, we, we uh, have had a couple proposals for a pool, and, and we've had some guys come in and give us some bids. And one guy uh, was talking to me about the different kinds of pool options. And one was a sport pool or a diving pool. And, and he says, some people are going with sport pools, some people are going with diving pools. So I want to do a scientific survey today. Maybe you can help me out on deciding which one. And Janet, keep a close eye on what we should do. So a sport pool is a kind of in-ground pool that doesn't go very deep. It's pretty much shallow all the way through, maybe a little bit deeper in the middle. But you can play like volleyball, basketball, have fun, and you can do laps. But, but it, it's not deep enough. Uh, a diving pool is obviously, you guessed it, where you can dive in. It's deeper on one end. There's a shallow end, but there's also a deep end. And and, and uh, how many of you, if you were going to build a pool, you'd say, uh, go for the sport pool. You put your hand up. Okay, 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 good, 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 good. How many of you would say, uh, you got to do the diving pool? You got to do the diving pool. Wow, wow, a lot of divers in the house. Well, half of you are wrong on one of the other. We don't know. We'll let you know. We'll reveal it to you, and we'll have a big pool party. It'll be great. We'll all have chicken wings. So as the pool guy was with me, he said something to me when we were in the middle of our conversation about the pool and about the options. And he said something. He, he forgot I was a pastor because anything you say will be used, can be used, not against you. But you just can be used in a sermon. So just know it may come out. And so, so this guy said this statement, and it was just a normal statement. It doesn't mean anything. But when I heard it, I said, wow, he's speaking like truth today. And here's what he said. Here's, here's the quote from the pool guy, okay? Here's what he says. People don't hang out too much in the deep end. They might try a dive or two, but they prefer to spend time in the shallow water. And I had to add the pool guy. <laughs> you know? And then when he said that, it makes sense that maybe a sport pool would be better. There's more hang out time because the diving, it requires energy. It requires stamina. You got to tread the water. It's, it's fun for a moment, but most people tend to congregate to the shallow water. And I heard that and I immediately went to the thought of man in life. When we're young, we love to jump in. We love to dive in. We love to, to do something crazy. The older we get, the more risk averse we become. It's true. 
But we, we were willing to, to risk it all, to, to roll the dice. And the older we get, and we've got kids and now grandkids, and we've got retirement looming just in the corner. We can see it and like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to risk it now. i got too much to, to lose. And, and a lot of people, truth, truth be told, were designed to be more comfortable in the shallow end, where we don't have to expense as much energy, where we don't have to jump in and say cannonball, where we don't have to do anything impressive. We can just be. When it comes to the spiritual deep end, when it comes to life and having to step out into the deep water, it requires this character trait called courage. This, this, this courage to say, let's go. And I, like I said, like when I was three years old, my dad at Lincoln, Nebraska public swimming pool, I, I went up to the high dive with a rubber ducky kind of tube around my waist. And I said, watch, Mommy. And my mom's like, Terry, I can't believe you let him do that. But I was just daring and bold and crazy. And at three years old, I jumped off the high dive with my little rubber ducky on there. And I survived. I, I did. I got a little brain damage, but I'm there. I'm good. I'm good. I was willing. Now, there's some things today like... I don't know if I got that same kind of let's let's go skydived a couple years ago for my birthday. Janet surprised me with that. Like when your wife surprises you with jumping out of an airplane for your birthday, you may need to check your relationship. I just want to say you just everything good, everything okay. There's no you know back backdoor agreements. Are is there you know back, back room agreements? It takes courage to step out into the unknown and do something. We're going to talk about courage. So take your worship guide. And on the back, we don't have any fill in the blanks today, but we do have some lines for you to take some notes. And I'd, I'd invite you to follow along with writing some thoughts down. Let me start by saying what courage is not, okay? Courage is not not being afraid. It is not not being afraid, okay? Courage is not the absence of fear. It's stepping forward in the face of fear. It's moving beyond the fear, even though fear might be there. Another definition we could use today of courage, and you can write it down, is it is the willingness to act out of conviction rather than feeling. Because many times we feel a certain way, but we're not willing to step out, and, and our conviction wanes because our feelings of saying what we should say because it's right, but for fear of, 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 of somebody coming back against us or retaliation, we don't say what's right. Or, or the feeling that we have in, in, in uh, feeling, you know, tired of our marriage. Instead of have, acting in the conviction, we, we base it on the feeling. And courage gets us the willingness to act out of the conviction of what's right versus what I feel. Another definition would be to deny my own flesh and do what's right despite the what? Cost. Listen, courage isn't for doing the things that will always make you happy. Sometimes courage means you're going to walk into enemy fire. But you got to do the right thing, the courageous thing. I wrote it down earlier this morning that courage is a key that unlocks your God-given potential. If you, if you don't have the courage, you won't be able to step into the God-given potential of truly knowing him personally. Finding freedom in everyday life from what's holding you back. To discovering more purpose and more gifts of the Spirit active in your life. And making a difference for the kingdom of God, not just the kingdom of you. Courage is a key that unlocks that God-given potential. And we, we say it around here. It's our mission statement at Timber Creek. Your God-given potential is our mission. So what am I trying to say today? If your God-given potential is our mission, it means we need to be a courageous bunch. 
It means we need to step out and deny the flesh and do what's right no matter the cost. It means that the fulfillment of my God-given potential hinges on my level of courage. You won't ever get past that next step with lack of courage. It requires courage activated. You know, courage is a character trait that activates all the other character. I can't, I can't really be honest in a moment that's heated at work if I don't have the courage to be honest. To be pure in a culture that says anything goes, students, I got to have the courage to stand up no matter what they might say or what they might text or what they might post. Courage to be full of integrity when everybody else is just kind of wishy-washy. It takes courage. And we get to the point in the story, this chronological exploration of God's incredible story from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation in chronological order. We're in week seven. We're coming up to the battles of, of the promised land, the, the going in and the tough times of, of, of seizing the land. It's a, it's, a, it's a grimy time. It's a PG-13 time in the Bible, you know. You probably ought not to read the Bible. It's so, it's so graphic. No, you ought to read it, and you ought to understand it, and you ought to get through it. And, and what we see here is kind of a timeline. We started with creation where God creates everything and it's all good, but we in and of ourselves, we have an earthly dilemma that requires a heavenly solution. We need a savior and we fall and there's the fall of man and we're, we're exodus out of the garden and then we have the flood and we start over. God is grieved because of the way we've done things on our own. He's developing the lower story because the upper story he's writing is you can't do it without me and you're going to try. You're going to try and try and try. You can't do this thing called life without me. We get to the Tower of Babel where languages are dispersed and ethnic groups. And we get into Abraham, the start of a new nation. That through the, the, the seed of Abraham, a new nation, a chosen nation, the Israelites. From that line of the Israelites would come the Messiah, the Savior of mankind, Jesus. We get Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob's name is turned to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Those are the 12 tribes. One of those sons is Joseph. Joseph becomes the, the deputy Pharaoh in Egypt. And all the other tribes say, hey, let's, Joseph's there. Let's go be a part of Egypt. And they live in happy and high on the hog until they get too big. And people forget who Joseph is. And they become in bondage and enslaved. And they become, they become uh, slaves in Egypt. Moses, a foster child adopted into the house of Pharaoh, gets a call of God to deliver the Israelite people out of that bondage. And by the way, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the deliverance of Egypt and we talked about modern day deliverance, how uh, hundreds of thousands of women and children are in bondage uh, in sex trafficking. And we took up an assignment. We can't help everybody, but we're going to help as many as we can. And we took on an assignment. And I just want to say to you that through the, the rescue day that we had, uh, we committed uh, $3,700 a month to give towards rescuing women and their children from sex trafficking. Whoa! That's awesome! Out of that, $3 a day provides that care for that woman or that child. And we're, we're providing $3,700. Every month. Wow, God is so good. And you saw it and you said, I want to be a part of that. And you stepped out with courageous generosity. 
But then we get past Moses and we get to Joshua, the right-hand man of Moses. And it's time to get into the promised land. And they had messed up and they grumbled and they mumbled and they complained. And God gave them the commandments. And they said, no, let's build a calf instead. And I love when Moses comes down with the, with the commandments. And, and they had built a calf, a golden calf. And they asked Aaron, the guy in charge of the calf, what do you do? And, and Aaron, like as a fourth-grade kid, he's like, oh, we threw gold in the fire and out came this calf. I don't know what happened. You know, he's pushing the blame. And then they were going to seize the land, as Pastor Seth talked about last week. But they, they had to wander because they wouldn't do it. They weren't full of courage. And they had to be reminded. They needed to rewind and remind. And they, they had to wander in the wandering. It was a great message that week. The week before, with Pastor Dan on the Ten Commandments. If you haven't listened to the podcast, you can go back and listen to those to get caught up. And I encourage everyone. How many of you are reading through the story with us? Put, put a hand up. Yeah, keep going. And if you're not with us, why not join us? It's going to be an incredible journey as we take those selected scriptures. By the end of summer, we will have read through 80% of the entire word of God together. And I'm telling you, that makes a good, strong church. Not just reading the word, but then activating the word in our life. And so we get to this point of Joshua in the Red Square, and there's time. They've wandered for 40 years, and it's time to step out. And, and God is beginning to speak to Joshua in Joshua chapter one. And here's what God says. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's a new day, everybody. He's dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. Now notice here that we say, get ready, and I will give you. Understand that there is a participation in the activity of God. Even though God is the one that's going to give them, they, as my grandpa said, you got two feet in a heartbeat. Get up and let's go. He's saying, you got to get ready. I will give it to you, but you can't have your hands in your pockets. You've got to be activated. And so he gives him some direction on how to get ready for what God is going to do in this process of taking the promised land. He says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, Joshua. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. And then I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. A popular verse that many of us know right there in that scripture. So, he says, be strong and what? Courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. When God makes a promise, you can trust his promise. You don't have to regret following God. He is a God that keeps his promises. There's some benefits of courage I want you to write down. Four different benefits. We're going to see them in the scripture as it unfolds. The first benefit of courage is this. Number one. Courage enables me to face the future. God starts out by saying Moses is dead. You, you, you can't keep doing the same thing you're doing and expecting someone else to lead. Joshua, it's your turn. It's time to step up. It's time to take the reins. It's time to go forward. Some of you, you've got to step up and take the reins. Some of you, you're living in the rearview mirror. The windshield is bigger than the rearview for a reason. If you try and drive your car watching your rear view mirror or Netflix, you're going to get in trouble. 
You got to look out the big window, not the rear view. It's bigger for a reason. And God wants you to face the future. So some questions that build your courage would be asking God this, like, okay, God, what's next? Here I am. I'm ready to move forward. What's next? And I believe there are two questions that whether you've been a senior saint or you're brand new Christian or you're dipping your toe in the water of following Jesus, there are two questions that you ought to be asking consistently in your walk with God and just good questions you should ask yourself, period. The first one would be this, what's my next step of obedience? As much as you may have been serving Christ for a while, there may be areas or elements in your life that have not been fully surrendered to him. And it requires obedience. From, from your attitude to the words, ah, I, just, I just get so upset, I, don't, I can't be responsible for everything that comes out of my mouth. Oh, really? That's an obedience issue. Um, I trust God with everything, but this whole money thing, you know, I don't know about the whole, you know, giving God. It's just, eh, just, just give me my sermon and I'll take care. Well, God is first or he's not, he's not God. What's your next step of obedience? The obedience to have the courage to, to walk away from that dicey situation, to stand up to somebody, I'm not going to cook that book anymore, to, to, to be able to say, look, this is done, we're, we're done with this, I can't continue on in this action or this attitude. What's my next step of obedience? Another question you'd ask, what's my next step of submission? Now that submission word is a crazy word. You know, um, you can find like you know, some redneck in the back 40 that will know this one scripture. Wives submit to your husband. That's, that's all he knows. You know, he's a drunk degenerate, but that's the one scripture he can quote. Well, submission is yielding. It's yielding for the benefit of another. And it's not submitting with a grit in your teeth and a bite in your bottom lip and a, ah, shucks. It's, it's an open-palmed, surrendered Attitude. What's your next step of submission? In relationships with Jesus, with one another, in the fruit of the Spirit activating in your daily life, where do you need to submit? And so God says you got to be strong and courageous, and then he continues on and he repeats himself. There in verse 7 he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful. Watch it. Wait. Hey, heads up. Look. Look, 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 look. Careful. To obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, the word of God. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Why? Why does he say don't turn to the right or to the left? He answers the why behind the what by saying, so that you may be successful wherever you go. The truth is, we like the scripture until it pushes us down a road that is uncomfortable. And it requires courage to engage the road less traveled. To engage the road that is more narrow when it comes to your feelings, when it comes to your wants, when it comes to your desires, when it comes to your, your, your flesh screaming. I mean, your spirit's going, don't. And your flesh is saying, let's do it. So don't, don't swerve. You'll be successful wherever you go, but how many know we're living in a culture that's swerving, that, that is bowing when God says stand, that is zigging when God says zag. And we've got to, to know to not go to the right or the left, but to be careful to obey his word. 
God goes on to say, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Not careful just to know everything in it, but to like do the stuff in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Many people looking for, for the, 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 the life that is like the good life. But we got to do what he's called us to do in scripture to ever experience that real good life. And I'm not talking about prosperity where uh, you got all the money, you know, just like, you know, you're wearing, wearing suits made of $100 bills. I, I just am, you know, where, where the prosperity gospel says you can have everything if you just believe it. I think that's more of like, well, that's an R. Kelly song. You know, that, that's, that's not gospel. You'll be prosperous and successful if you... Don't swerve from the right or the left. So number two, the benefit of courage. Courage prepares me to live by Christ-like convictions. Prepares me to live by Christ-like convictions. You may want to write this down. Strong convictions precede great actions. Before you can take the next mountain, before you can do what's right, before you start that program that helps people, before you stand up in the middle of adversity, you got to have a conviction that, that, that precedes that action. It can't just be it felt good in the moment because that sizzles out. The conviction is what keeps it stable. And that's why we just read God saying, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Hey, how, where do we get our convictions, everybody? Where do we get our convictions? Everywhere. Everywhere. From Bobby Joe Blogger to Grandma to the seventh grader to that senior in high school, we collect convictions and if, we, if we're not careful, we get them from everywhere, and we get a messed up conviction worldview. But I know some of you already said it. The word of God is where we get our convictions. We meditate on it day and night. When I say meditate on it day and night, I don't mean, you know, he that dwells in the secret place of the most high. Ding. Shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I mean, you read the scripture. You understand who he's talking to how they responded, whether they responded right or not, and what God is saying to you in that scripture, and how you should respond according to his voice. That's meditating. And when I meditate, it establishes those convictions, those anchors in life, and it guarantees stability. It brings that foundation. When we're building this house, we didn't start with the sheetrock, we started with the foundation. You got to have the right foundation in order for everything else to be stable. Meditating on his word creates a sensitivity, a tenderness to his presence. Not just in church, but anywhere, anytime. See, some of you are sensitive to the presence of Jesus here. But because meditating on his word is only involved in a Sunday morning experience, you're missing something in the workplace. Because he wants you to be sensitive anywhere you go, everywhere at all times to his presence and what he might want to be saying. Meditating on his word broadens and deepens my understanding of and love for him. And can I say something to you? It'll never be more knowledge that makes you love God. It's more love for God. The more you learn, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you obey his commands. I don't wake up in the morning with Janet and, and say, flesh, don't, don't you have an affair today? 
Don't you remember those vows for better or worse, sicker, sick and rich, whatever they were? I don't remember the vows, apparently. I've only done a hundred weddings and I can't quote it right now. So death do his part, I know that part. It's not my vows that I quoted that keep me being faithful. It's my love. And, and, and what can happen, though, is I, if I don't meditate on our love, I can drift. Anyone can drift. If you don't focus on the main things, anyone can drift. But if I focus on the love, it gives me the desire to obey those vows because I've meditated on it. You, you follow me this morning? Meditating on his word aligns our thoughts with his. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. I want to have higher thoughts. I don't want to have lower thoughts. I want to align myself with what he thinks. Maintaining his word, meditating on his word maintains godly direction in an upside-down culture. In the culture that is hot on the hashtag Me Too movement as it should be, where sexual misconduct is being brought to the surface and no more hidden, Stuff going on in the news media, in one side of the mouth, talks about the hashtag me too. And then in the other side, praises someone like Hugh Hefner that glorifies sexuality and, and, and dirties it, uh, cheapens it. We live in an upside down culture when an egg of a baby bald eagle has more protection than a child in the womb. We live in an upside-down culture. And meditating on his word gives me direction in that culture. God continues to say, have I not commanded you? The third time, be strong and courageous. He's got to remind us. It's not our tendency. Our tendency is fear and anxiety. And his press to us is be strong and courageous, even if i got to say it over and over. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You know what afraid and discouraged mean? If I'm afraid of something, it means I probably won't start. And then if I'm discouraged about something, you know what it means? It means I probably won't finish. And so if I'm afraid or discouraged, it means either I'm not going to start what I've been supposed to start or I'm not going to finish what I was supposed to finish. And the enemy's got me right where he wants me. And he says, you can't be afraid. You can't be discouraged. With courage, you can end. And some of us are stuck in the messy middle between being afraid and discouraged. He says, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I believe the Lord would want to say to you and to me, my commands are not trifling issues open for debate over chips and salsa. My commands are to be respected and followed, cherished and guarded. And it's not always easy, so you're going to have to have some courage to follow through. You still with me this morning? Brings us to the third benefit of courage. Courage empowers me to reprogram my perspective and take some risks to reprogram that perspective and really get out there and take a risk. Jump in. Try the deep end. I started with a quote from the pool guy. Let me now move a little bit deeper to a popular author, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says it like this, God will not have his work made manifest by Cowards. In other words, 
You don't see the cowards being the heroes in the word, in the story. We see cowards. In fact, when you back off of this story 40 years ago, before they spent that four decades wandering in the wilderness, they, they had some cowardly moments that put them into that spin cycle of wandering in the wilderness instead of going to the promised land. We see that, that Moses had gathered together 12 military guys that were going to be on a strategic reconnaissance mission. And they were going to go across enemy lines and do some, 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 uh, some espionage. And they were going to go in there and they were going to spy on the land. And they were going to check things out. And they were going to, they were going to get a feel for, for the promised land. And, and the Bible, if you back up 40 years, you read this story unfolding where the 12 spies, they come back and they gave Moses this account. Here's what they said. Moses, we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. They bring this fruit. It's grapes the size of cantaloupes. Just incredible. Like, what? Some guy in the corner just, just like puts his whole face in a grape. It's incredible. Good stuff. Flowing with milk and honey. That's, not per, that's proverbial, milk and honey. It meant economy in life. It meant the ability to, to, to develop and situate a nation. It wasn't like actually flowing. Oh, look at that milk. Let's get an Oreo. It, it was... Proverbial, okay? But that sounds like a great idea. I think that's heaven. Stack of Oreos and not the crystal sea, the, the milk sea. We just dip in those Oreos. Oh, my. Come on, Jesus. Hey, you know, if you, you can stick a fork in an Oreo and you can stick it right down in that milk. Oh, life hack is changing my life. Anyway, I know some of you are counting macros. I know, I know. Anyway, here it is, fruit. But, here's what they say, but people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large and we even saw some descendants of Anak there descendants of Anak there was this this legendary tribe of people that were giants and they said we saw descendants of Anak there big old boy it wasn't like we saw descendants of Yancey's no it wasn't that they were big old people they were scared they go on the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites. They all live in the hill country, also known as Austin. And the Canaanites, they live near the sea and along the Jordan. All these different tribes, all these scary enemies to the tribes of Israel. And they're all scared and they're all afraid. And one of the spies steps up whose name is Caleb. And Caleb silenced the people because they're all scared. Remember in It's a Wonderful Life when everybody makes a run on the bank and everybody's scared. And George Bailey goes, hey, everybody, everybody, just calm down, calm down. What do you need, Frank? What do you need, Sam? And he's trying to calm everybody down or the bank's going to go out of business because they're all making a run on the bank because of the economy. And Caleb stands up and says, hey, everybody, shh, calm down, calm down. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can do it. <laughs> but, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't do it. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Now watch how this works. They said, at the grocery store, picking up their Brookshire's anywhere, in the car waiting. They say, hey, the land we explored devours those living in it. Now stop. Back it up. They were just talking about how many people were living there. They were just saying, the Hittites are there, the Jebusites are there, the Amalekites are there. 
they got afraid and they started believing their own lies. They're going to devour all those living it. All the people we saw there are of great size. They, no, they were just talking about the descendants of Anak. It wasn't everybody. And here's the, here's the scripture I want you to catch. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. It wasn't even that the Amalekites saw them small. It was that they saw themselves small. Had they forgotten the God of Israel who turned water to blood? Who followed them and provided a cloud by day and a fire by night and a sea that was parted? Lest they forgot that he provided manna in the desert day after day? And yet they couldn't focus on anything except their own smallness. I want you to write this down. Nothing has the potential to be more life-changing than when you take your eyes off you and put them on him. You got to reprogram your perspective from your smallness to his bigness, from your dilemma to his deliverance, from your hurt to his healing, from your situation to his salvation. There are too many places that he is just way too big and way too strong. The old kid's song says it right. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you. And the, the, the grasshopper Israelites couldn't see past their own weakness to the mighty, all-powerful God that had already exodused them 40 years ago. Are you hearing me this morning? And the same is true for us. There are pillars in your life. There are altars in your life where God showed up, where he provided, where he was a good God. And maybe right now, though, things look big and things look daunting. And it's scary to cross the next river. And it's scary to think that I can get past this. And I'm here to tell you, he's the big God then. He's a big God now. He's going to be a big God tomorrow. So we fast forward back the 40 years. God says, be strong and courageous. And so Joshua steps out and they cross the Jordan River, a river versus a sea. And it starts to build a little courage. And they come to the first city that they're going to attack. And it's a doozy. It's a doozy. In Joshua chapter 6, the scripture goes like this. The gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Notice the perspective of the, Jer of the Jericho people. They were afraid of the Israelites. <laughs> they were the ones that were afraid. They were the ones that felt like grasshoppers. They had securely barred the doors. They had lifted up the gate over the moat. They, they, they had gotten their, 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 their greatest uh, guards up on the perches of the massive wall to yell out, you know, uh, uh, different uh, jerk phrases to the people. We spit in your general direction. I don't know how Monty Python just got in there, but it was not in the first service. You guys are blessed. You're blessed. No one went in, no one, came, no one went out, and no one came in. And God pulls Joshua aside and he speaks to the strategy in which Joshua is going to use to conquer this city. And God begins to speak. The Lord said to Joshua, see, 
I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. If I'm Joshua, I'm going, I don't know, I don't see it. Because the walls are still up and the, the door is still barred. I'm not quite following you. See, you can't look at the way you look at things. you got to see the way God sees. He already saw that they were delivered. They were looking at a big old wall. I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. So now we're getting, it, it, it is multiple times now, with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud, Aah! then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. That's the word of the Lord to Joshua. So I can see Joshua then going into the war room tent. All his generals stand to attention. Joshua comes in and says, sit down, guys, sit down, guys. They said, you hear from God? I heard from God. Okay. What's the plan of attack, Joshua, son of Nun? We follow you, ride or die. So what's the strategy, boss? What are we going to do? We're going to flank from the left. What's God going to call us to do now? Is it going to be lightning? What's it going to be? Okay, we're going we're, we're gonna to form a marching band, um, and, and we're all going to, you guys remember in high school we did, and they're just looking at him, he's like, yeah, we're going to just, just trust me, I heard from God, we're going to form a marching band. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to surprise him like it's like, like a Trojan horse kind of thing where we, we're like, but then we got attack, he's like, no, 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 just, just. We're just going to walk around the walls. We're just going to march around the walls with our, with our trumpets. Okay, okay. You're losing us here, boss. Just trust me. God's got a plan. We're going to do that for six days. Six days. What am I going to tell my wife on day four, right? You go home. She's got the baby. Have we delivered Jericho? Has Jericho been delivered yet? What are you doing out there? Are you using your arrows? Ah, we're just, you know, we're marching. Get off me, woman. Okay, well, okay, that's fine. We'll trust you, Joshua. May, is there somebody on the inside that can help us? Is there somebody, is there like a, is there a double agent on the inside that can help us get through and maybe unlock the door? Yes, there's a prostitute in there. And, and that's it. And now on the seventh day, we're going to march seven times, and then we're going to blow our trombones. Did any of you have trombones that are underneath your, your bed from high school? And somebody says, let me get this straight. We got a marching band, a prostitute, and trumpets. And Joshua says, be strong and very courageous. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? They follow. They follow. And they don't stop on day three, and they don't stop on day six, and they don't stop at round four on day seven. God shows up. <laughs> Number four, I will find the courage to listen to and obey God. Say it with me. 
no matter what. No matter what. And I know that sometimes it doesn't make sense. God says in his word, sex is held for marriage. And some of you are like, what? He wants us to march until marriage? Listen and obey, no matter what. He defines marriage. He, he defines our attitudes and our actions. He defines what true virtue is through his word. And as we meditate, we see it. And it may not even make sense in an upside-down culture. But if God says it, we can trust it. And you got to listen and obey no matter what. And I've said it before. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. So you'd listen twice as much as you talk. Some of you got nine mouths and one ear. You know, that's why he gave us love bugs. So there would just be a few weeks in East Texas that people would keep their mouths shut. <laughs> the truth is, it's not that we're not listening and obeying. It's just that we're listening and obeying the wrong thing, the wrong person, the wrong voice. Oh, we listen and obey. We sure do. We listen and obey to that regret, that shame, that guilt, that voice of criticism that we heard way long ago, that wound that keeps on coming up that we can't get rid of, that addiction that keeps calling out your name saying you'll never amount. And there are these words and these statements that we're listening to and obeying, and maybe some of these, one of these, all of these relate to some of you, if not all of you. I know some of them have related to me. Statements like, you messed up too much. No one will want you. It's never going to happen. You will just fail again. You're never going to change. And we listen and we obey. Statements like, there's plenty of time left. Take your time. You'll always be alone. You failed as a mom. You're just like your dad. God doesn't love you anymore. And we listen and we obey. Words like, it's, it'll be like this forever. You've wasted too much time. You don't need any help. God's done giving you chances. You are on your own. And we listen and we obey. But the voice of the Lord says, be strong and courageous. And he doesn't give us a track, he doesn't give us the words with some empty track record. He says, and don't forget, I will never leave you. And don't you forget, I will never forsake you. And man, you need to be reminded, I will be with you. You're never alone. He says, man, you, you want to know something? I know the walls look big. I'm greater than any wall you'll face. He says, I know you're on plan R. But I will make your path straight again. But he also gives us this challenge. You must choose your focus. You must choose who you're going to listen to and who you're going to obey. And child of God, be strong and courageous. I end with this little video of a fourth grade girl who's up against the deep end of life or up against a major trust up against a moment of faith, a moment of courage, and fear is there. 
and courage is coming, but it's, it's not quite engaged. And I, I want you to watch the process that this fourth grade girl goes through. I'll be fine. Have fun. I'll do it. Well... goes something, I guess. Okay, you can do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump. You got it. Whoa, my ski's slipping off. Just remember, never snowplow, okay? No snowplows. Keep it straight, you'll be fine. Okay, straight. Do you go faster on the end run? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah. Is it any steeper, do you think? Not Same. much. Same steepness, it's just longer. Well, just longer. Just longer. Just a bigger 20, that's all. Yep. Have it's fun. a bigger 20. Go ahead. I got it. Suspense at the top of the first time freaks you out. That's the only thing. It's so fun. Huh? 60 seems like nothing now. Whoa! Come on. So, a couple things. If all she had was her own voice, she may not have never ever gone but there was a voice beside her speaking confidently and friends you don't even have a voice beside you you have the spirit living in you and he speaks the longer you wait the harder it is you got this don't snowplow you're like don't snowplow does it get faster you think oh you, you, it's about this it's just like a 20 just longer now 60 seems like nothing to this girl, right? Why? Because she was strong and courageous. And yeah, there wasn't an absence of fear, but she denied her own flesh to do what was right in that moment. The truth is, courage isn't laying dormant in you. That you just bite your bottom lip and you stir it up and you look in the mirror and you say, you got this, you got this, you got this. Courage is a person. And that person came from heaven to earth, walked the human life while yet being divine, who took on the cross a few days from now, who said, I will be strong and courageous so that when you don't even have what it takes, you can have my spirit living inside you and my strength and my courage will be enough to be activated in your life and it won't even be your strength and courage, it'll be my strength and courage through you. That's the kind of savior we serve. Not a not with it, separated, down the slope, watching as he sips his coffee. 
He's with us on the journey. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads bowed, eyes closed all over the room. If you're here today and you need to take a step of faith, I would encourage you that your first step, if you haven't taken it, is to invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, the center of your life. It's not about what you could ever do. It's about what he has already done on the cross. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me today? I want to invite Jesus to be my Lord and Savior for the first time or maybe the first time in a while because I've, I've drifted. If that's you with no hesitation, I want to add you to this prayer, but I'm going to invite you with no hesitation. Would you put a hand straight up in the air? I, I want to have the courage to accept Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. Put your hand right up in the air. Across the room, several hands. Anybody else? I'll take just a second. I, I want to have the courage to invite Jesus to be my Lord and Savior today. Okay, you can put your hands down. In your own words, you would simply say, Jesus, I invite you into my life to lead me, to guide me. I cannot fix my separation with you. You paid for that on the cross. Be the king of my heart. Be the authority for the decisions that I make. Give me the courage to walk with you no matter the cost. Thank you for not being mad at me, but giving me today to make things right with you. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. Maybe you're here, let's shift gears, and you're here, and you need courage to step out. You need courage to forgive. You need courage to have the conversation. You need courage to, to say no to that thing. You, you have courage to deal with that secret sin. You need courage to step into that group. You need courage to, to avoid that pitfall yet again, and you're so frustrated, but you want the courage that comes from the king to really step into the next part of your life. If that's you, say, Jeremy, I pray for me. I need courage today. If that's you, would you put a hand up? My hand's up too. I need courage today. Y'all all across the room, Father, I pray that you would immerse this crowd with your strength and your courage to take on everyday life, the pitfalls, the big ski slopes, the, di the deep end that we're standing there with our toe toes over the edge. I pray that we would jump in trusting you, knowing you're good, knowing you're faithful, knowing when you say march, we'll march, knowing that when you say the walls will fall down, we're going to trust you more than what we see, that we're not going to look at ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes, but as child, son, and daughter of the King of Kings, creator of the universe and we speak it out in jesus name everybody said amen 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 wasn't god good what a great day to be alive trusting him we're going to finish today with with our tithes and our offerings and i at this offering moment i'm going to ask you to be courageous in a couple of things so what so give me your focus for the next three minutes as we we have about three minutes and 40 seconds left together, okay? Here we go. As you give, I wanna, I wanna encourage you, I wanna challenge you to be courageous by putting God first in your finances. If you're a guest, don't feel like your arm is twisted. You don't have to give any, I'd invite you to give your Connect card, that's it. Unless God compels you to give, there is no, no pressure. For those of us that know that God is a good God and he provides everything and everything we have is his, exercise that generosity muscle. Put God first in your finances. If you have a prayer request, make sure you mark it down. I would encourage you to do this as well. On the Connect card, if there's something that you need to have courage to do, I would, I would challenge you in the next few moments, put a circle on your Connect card, anybody, and say, I'm, I need the courage to, and write out what, like, forgive my husband, or to change my process that, that, that I'm following every day, to, to surrender this part of my life. And we wanna pray for you this week. 
I wanna invite you to have the courage to not do Easter alone, to invite your friend, a relative, an associate, a neighbor. We're gonna have a blast with the Friday night and Saturday night Easter egg hunt. That's just a carrot to get people in the door. It's gonna be amazing music that is gonna be worshipful to God. I feel like God has given me a message that's simple, but I believe it's gonna really impact a lot of people. I believe hundreds of people are gonna to come to Jesus in our Easter service. We're believing that we're gonna have the largest Easter ever, that, that we're believing for 4,000 people in our eight plus services. We're believing for it. That's over 10% of the community. In order to hit that, last year we had 2,800, so we're gonna need another 1,200 more. We can't do it. God's gonna to have to, and you're gonna to have to be courageous to invite your friends. Trust me, hey, I wanna tell you something right now. If you can show me that you brought 20 friends with you, I'm gonna rent a stretch limousine and take you out to dinner, okay? You prove to me you brought 20, I'll get the stretch and we'll go have fun. You, me, and my wife, well, we'll do it that way. It's not gonna be a date, all right? It's gonna be a little weird when me and Jonathan Millen invite people. Anyway, invite people to church. Let them hear the good news. But let me tell you these last two things. If you haven't been water baptized, it's time to be courageous and be water baptized this Sunday after Easter. If you, if you haven't gone through starting point or you haven't finished what you started, it's time to get into starting point and finish what you started, baby. And let's go, let's make a difference for the kingdom. If you haven't joined a group, it's time to step out, be courageous and get into a group and grow in your relationship with Jesus. It's time to do these things, okay? So as we end, I'm gonna ask you, I, I do this every time. I say stand, but stay where you are. And I have, I, I have ushers with dart guns that have, that have Ambien in them that's gonna knock you out if you, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If you gotta go, you gotta go. Would you stand with me, but stay where you are? We're gonna receive the offering and we're gonna sing this song and then I'm gonna come back and pray over our Easter services together, okay? God bless you as you give. Stephen, lead us. you to take your hands and just symbolically would you just set them on the seat in front of you if you're on the front row just set them on the seat you're sitting in father these seats represent a name and every name represents a story and every story matters to you God I pray that every seat would be filled sevenfold with men and women who are trusting you, but men and women that are hurting, men and women that need you, men and women that have been lost, 
men and women that are looking for hope and they will find it this Easter. We pray this service may be filled multiple times, not so we can say we hit a goal or not that we can say we had this many people, but that your name would be shared and cast to a magnitude of people that your life, that your life given is sacrificed for us would be lifted up and praised and that people's lives would change and their entire generation of people would be changed because of what happens in this room on Easter Sunday. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. And everybody said aloud, amen. God bless you, everybody. See you at Easter.